the, 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 the parasha that we're talking about today is this parasha which is called Nekom Nikmat B'nei Yisrael Me'eta Midyanim it's about the Midyanim now the Midyanim the Midyanim I mean we have to attack this somehow so Rashi brings up the critical question about the Midyanim and he says you see the Rashi in Pasuk Bet Midyanim there were these two nations the nation of Midian and the nation of Moab uh, their territory was naturally on the eastern side of the Jordan River even though later on when the Jews came into Eretz Canaan we hear about the Midyanim from time to time the great victory of Gidon over the Midyanim so they must have been in Eretz Israel as well but certainly in the beginning we hear of them as being in Chutz La'aretz. So the Midyanim and the Mo'avim were together in trying to contrive a way of doing in the Jews. And so they hired Bil'am ben Ba'or. And whatever happened, happened. Of course you know that they were victorious. They were not victorious in producing a prophet who could contradict the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. That they were not able to do. But Bil'am, as in the tradition, Bil'am was the one who gave the Eitzah, who advised the kings to send uh, girls, women, to seduce the Israeli men to serve the idolatry of Baal Pa'or. Right? That was, that was a success. That was a big success. Because at the end, you know, thousands of Jews, 25,000, were slaughtered in the Magifah and the Pinchas and Zimri and Kazbi and that was all a result of this great idea that Bilam had so the Pasuk says means that somehow if I wanted to interpret this Pasuk correctly I would say somehow the death of Moshe Rabbeinu is involved. Which doesn't mean that if Moshe Rabbeinu was already dead, that they would not be a directive to Nikon, but somehow the Pasuk says that this is something you have to do. It's undone yet. <coughs> you have to take care of this. So Rashi asks a question. He says, Lo mo'avim. What's the difference between the Midyanim and the Moavim? Why is there a special command to, to avenge the, the Moavim, right? I'm sorry, the Midyanim, but not the Moavim. And Rashi gives two answers to this question. The first answer is, Sha Moavim nichnisu ladavar machamat yir'ah. Shayu yirei emehem. The, the, after all, he says that the Moavim went into this agreement with Bilam because they were afraid of the Jewish people. Right? They were afraid. They were in fear of the Moavim. of Israel. Shayu Sholilimotam that they would deny their existence. Shalonema Ella Altidgar Bam Milchama. 
It just says about the Mo'avim, do not enter into battle with them. There's a pasuk. We'll see that pasuk later on. Aval midyanim nitablu al rivi lolahem that the midyanim were not even afraid. They, they just went into it. They thought they saw here's a battle coming up. Maybe we'll get some profit out of it. Maybe there's oil. Maybe there's uh, uranium in that. So we'll be able to we'll be able to profit. You go to war. This is like an old idea that you go to war in order to profit. Even in Israel, those who could remember the Six Day War know that the, you could remember the situation in Israel before the Six Day War. Uh, you remember that uh, this was not a great. It was not a great place to be. You know, every day. People were closing, businesses were being foreclosed and closed down. There was no, uh, there was no money. Nobody could do anything, uh, uh, really. That was when the joke was first promulgated. That uh, they put up a sign in the airport for the last one out, turn out the lights. That was before the Six Day War. It was, it was really awful. It was really awful. This is, this is David and Karen Jackson. And I, it's my fault. It's my fault. I, I usually... Uh, nobody could ever say that I'm not hospitable because I'm totally Jebel But in this case, it's really beyond uh, words. I didn't listen to my wife. If I would have listened to my wife, it would have all been... Okay. You imagine that? Well, she can't drive. Why should I listen to her when she tells me about driving? That would be silly. So anyway, so so uh, uh, it says in the pasuk. It says in the pasuk. I'm sorry. That's what it says in the pasuk about the Moabim. Do not enter into battle with them, but you don't have to destroy them. Right, we're talking about the differences in Midianim and the Moabim as Rashi presents them. But the Midianim, they just ran into the battle uh, uh, which was not really theirs at all and therefore there's no Nikama. You don't have to take to avenge their, uh, their existence. So Rashi asks a question and Rashi gives an answer. Right, the question that Rashi asked was, how come there's a differentiation in the Torah between Midianim and Moavim? That Midianim there is Nikama and Moavim there's not Nikama? And the Rashi answer is kind of straightforward. Well, because the Midianim did this and the Moavim did that, but Rashi along the way tells us an interesting thing. Everybody knows that Yirat Shamayim or Yirat Hashem is, is a positive commandment. The Rambam lists it as a commandment. You have to have fear of God. And what Rashi says is, you have to fear something to be fearful. In other words, how do you train yourself to have fear of God? As the Rambam says, the Rambam tries to explain in, in, in Hilchot's Yusodia uh, Torah in the second parak. In order to have fear of God, you have to be able to fear. That's what Rashi says. That these people, these people did not have fear of God. They, I mean, they, they had fear and therefore 
in potential they could have fear of God. So they were people who had a religious dimension. Even though they didn't serve God and they didn't know the mitzvot and they didn't do the Torah. But if you have a certain kind of personality, you have a certain kind, that's what Rashi seems to say. That if you have a certain kind of personality, so, okay, it's a redeeming feature. It's a redeeming feature. That's the first part of the Rashi. <coughs> the second part of the Rashi, Davar right? You have to talk about why Rashi sometimes says Davar and sometimes he doesn't say Davar The Davar in this case is very strange. The Davar everybody knows this. Predot, the word Preda means um, uh, doves, doves, something like that. You know, some kind of love bird. There is such a thing. You know, birds who love each other are called love birds. And so they put them on cards like, we love you. Here's a picture of a bird. So, so, shtei predot tovot, they're two loving things that come out of uh, Moab. Uh, and what are they? Shigeshti lo tzimehem, ruta moavia v'naama ha'amonit. Right, ruta moavia became the mother of David HaMelech. Has anybody who is still awake on Shavuos when the Megillah is read, because those are the very last psukim of the Megillah. And Naama Ha'amonit. This is the other Naama, right? There's another Naama in the Chumash, but this is Naama Ha'amonit. And who was she the mother of? Naama Ha'amonit. She was the mother of Rechavam. Naama Ha'amonit was the mother of Rechavam. Who was Rechavam? Rechavam was the son of Shlomo HaMelech. Still no, not much of a buzz here. Nobody's <laughs> lights are lighting up. Yeah, nothing's happened yet. Maybe it's the heat. So Rechavam was the son of Shlomo HaMelech, whose wife was named Naama, who was an Ammonit. She came from the nation of Ammon. The problem with this Chazal, which I mean, is a real Chazal, it comes from the Gemara, it's far, <coughs> the Gemara, is that well, I, can, I can understand if you say that Ruth HaMoaviyah was the mother of David HaMelech. It's as though you say, without her, you wouldn't have David HaMelech. Which may be true or may not be true, I don't know. right? But I mean, you could say that. You could say that as sort of kind of being an uh, enthusiast. You said it enthusiastically, that everybody would certainly agree, right? So you say, David HaMelech came from Ruth, right? So, I, I had to save Ruth, right? It's as though the, the Drush says, we had, we had to save them because Ruth HaMoaviyah, we needed her in Jewish history. Imagine what would have happened if I would have killed off those chromosomes a generation before or two generations before so maybe I wouldn't have ended up with David HaMelech which is impossible so that well I mean I'm sure that God could have figured out some other way right that she could have escaped and go and you could kill them all but she would escape but the thing that strikes me the thing that strikes me when I read this Drasha is this Ruth HaMoaviyah 
was the mother, grandmother, great-grandmother of David HaMelech. David HaMelech is a critical person in Jewish history as everybody could understand. David HaMelech stabilized the Jewish people in a certain way. Right? He was a soldier and he was a fighter, but he was also the author of the Tehillim. Right? So, which Tehillim basically? I don't know what which Tehillim he was the author, but he was the author of Tehillim. So you had a person, you had a person who was not like Hannibal, as they say in Hebrew, Hannibal. He wasn't like Hannibal, he wasn't like a Mongolian king. He was David HaMelech. So it's not that you say you wouldn't have had David HaMelech, so you had a, a technical problem of democracy, but it means that Am Yisrael would have been constituted in a different way. And so you see... <coughs> that theoretically, without getting into the evolved in the issue of whether you should go to the army or not go to the army, the fact that you have a lot of people in Eretz Yisrael where there's a real danger, they stand and they say to him together, this really is a reflection of what we call the Am Yisrael that was created by David HaMelech. Right? Am Yisrael is created many times over and over and over again, but one time it was created by David HaMelech. And how did David HaMelech create it? politician, uh, a chief of staff, an army person, somebody who dealt, dealt with intrigue, etc., etc., but he also took the time to play the music and to write the Tehillim. And therefore, therefore, in as far as a person can be the creator of history, not past history, but future history, <coughs> we are witnesses, we are witnesses that David Amel did that. Because that's how we talk about it. That's who we are. We are the David HaMelech descendants. Just like at the beginning, we were the Avram Avinu descendants. Avram Avinu is the one who taught us about love of God. Right? That God, God loved Avram and Avram loved God. And this is something, this is something you have in your mind. This is there. If you, want, if you ask why was it that Avram Avinu was the beginning of the Jewish people and not Noah, for example... I mean, Noah was saved, he came out of the out of the ark. Okay, he didn't do everything right, but he was there. He was chosen by God because he was special. He wasn't chosen by God because he was not an interesting personality. And yet he could not be the one who began Am Yisrael. And therefore we have no memory of Noah. I don't mean there are no, no statements of Chazal about Noah. But we don't have memory of him. The memory of the other starts in Shemona Esra. We say Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. And that's who we are, to some extent. But then later on, we are also, we're also Moshe Rabbeinu. And we have to like see what about Moshe Rabbeinu impressed us. It gave us the memory. Told us who we are. That's Moshe, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. After Moshe Rabbeinu. <coughs> You know, Mitzrayim, after Mitzrayim, and after Arsinai, and after all of that, so you have Yeshua ben Nun, and then the Shoftim, and the Molochim. So you get up to, you get up to Rechavon. Rechavon was not like David HaMelech. Rechavon was a bad guy. It's true that he inherited the mantle of his father, Shlomo HaMelech, who also was a complex personality. He was a person who made the people suffer. He had this apparently, he was consumed with this idea of building the Beit HaMikdash. And building the Beit HaMikdash took a lot of effort, a lot of working days, a lot of, a lot of money to buy whatever they bought from Lebanon and brought into Eretz Israel. 
he was a difficult person. And so when he died, he, Shlomo HaMelech, when Shlomo HaMelech died, the people came to his son, Rechavam, and they said to Rechavam, look, we, we just can't take it anymore. We can't do it. We can't do it. Up to now, we did what your father asked us to do, but we have to tell you that we can't do it anymore. And Rechavam said, whatever my father did, I'm going to do worse. That's what he said. That's what he said. And, and he was, in fact, <coughs> he marks the end of Jewish history. Because at that time, when Rechavam became king in Yehuda, right, the southern kingdom of Eretz Israel, when Rechavam became the king, the Navi appointed another king. Now, there was another king that was appointed as the, as the king in Yehuda. And king in Yehuda, a king in Israel, the, the northern kingdom. The, right, you know, Eretz Yisrael, there's a southern kingdom from Yerushalayim to the south. And there's a northern kingdom of Yerushalayim to the north. So in the southern kingdom, in Yehuda and Yerushalayim, it was Rechavam who became the king. Rechavam the bad guy. And at the same time, a Navi appointed another king in Yisrael. So I know, I understand, there must have been cracking before, and it happened, everything has a history, and everything comes in some place, and if you don't know the history, there's a history, so boom, basic. But in fact, in fact, what happened was that instead of one king in Israel, you had suddenly two kings in Israel. And if you've ever learned the last parak in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, you know that the person who is chosen to be the worst person of all times is Yeravam ben Nevat. So that even though Yeravam ben Nevat was appointed by a Navi, which means that it was the divine choice, nevertheless, Yeravam ben Nevat and, Re- and Rechavam were kind of the same in the eyes of God. They were both very bad people. It's just that Yerav had no personality and Yerav did because Yerav besides being a bad guy, tried to move people away from Yerushalayim. You know, his Bayat Rishon still existed. There was still Bayat Rishon. And, and there was Avodas Hashem in the Beit HaMikdash. But Yerav but ben Nevat, who wanted to be the king of all Israel, he wanted to be the king of, of, of everything. He tried to get the people to stop going to Yerushalayim while Yerushalayim existed. It wasn't the Chorban. It was while Yerushalayim existed. This was the end of, of the time of Jewish history that began with David HaMelech and ended with Shlomo HaMelech. It ended. There was no Jewish history. It had to be reconstituted somehow. Be reconstituted. So one thing that happened was the ten, ten tribes were exiled, right? Right. If David Melch is approximately a thousand BCE, the exile of ten tribes took place in seven twenty two BCE. How much is that? Two hundred and fifty plus uh, another thirty or twenty eight, right? Whatever that is. <coughs> so seven twenty two by seven twenty two, Am Israel had been contracted into the southern kingdom. And in the southern kingdom, there were forever good good uh, uh, kings and bad kings. And if you read the book of Malachim, the, the, the way you designate a good king is that he was served God. And the way you designate a bad king is that he was idolatrous. Right? So that means they weren't just a little bit bad. All the bad guys were really bad. 
And all the good guys, some of them were really good. Some of them were really good, but that this tension, which was the recreation of Am Yisrael, right? Am Yisrael was recreated at that time, at the time of Galut Ashur, the Assyrian exile, where the northern tribes disappeared. They were taken away and disappeared, and they were replaced by a small number of Samaritans, what became the Samaritans eventually, Kutim, Kutim in the language of uh, of the Tanakh and also in the Gemara, they were replaced, but they never recovered. They never recovered the David Hamelech sense that everything somehow has to be backed up by Yirat Hashem and Avram Avinu's contribution, Avat Hashem. So you you see that Ruth Hamelafiyah. She was the mother of David. When I say that, what I mean is she was the mother of Am Yisrael. When Am Yisrael looks back at itself and says, "Who am I?" Ruth Hamoaviyah is in there. But when it comes to Rechav Am, I just don't understand it. I understand how how Naamah gets into this story. Right? Then why would she make such a big difference? After all, her husband. Her son, I'm sorry, her son represents the destruction of Am Yisrael. It's true, not the destruction of the temple, but the destruction of the spirit. He was the destruction of the spirit. So why would Chazal, why would Chazal put these two things, why would they put these two things together? But that's what Rashi, that's what Rashi says. And so there I have explained I explained my problem with the davar acher, but the davar acher probably means that at least in Rashi's eyes, the first interpretation is not sufficient, because uh, Rashi doesn't understand. I guess what difference it makes between two partners? Two partners are into the same business, or like they're into going to war against Israel. One of them is enthusiastic, and the other is not enthusiastic. Why punish one more than the other? Unless you can differentiate what they did. Okay, but here you can't. The Ammonim and the Moavim are the same. They're exactly the same. So Rashi says, Yirah. Rashi says, Yirah. But he knows that it's hard to defend that Pshat. Even though it's a Pshat that makes sense to Rashi. I'm not saying that, that it doesn't. But in some way, it's opposed to the second Pshat. That emphasizes that emphasizes Naama Amonit, who in fact was uh, the mother of Rechavam, who was the end of Yira on a certain level. Right? He he was not the Yare uh, Shamayim that we he had no feeling for the people right at all. And generally, we think of Yira or Ava. Right? These are a midot that we learn in our everyday uh, uh, behavior. It was like, how do you learn about it? Whatever it is you define, I mean, we could talk about that also, but however you define Yirat Hashem and Avat Hashem, <coughs> it becomes because Yirat and Ava are very natural tendencies that people have. Children, little children, without being taught fear, Right? Little children without being taught love. Right? Okay, you could 
talk about it psychologically and say, you know, this causes this, that causes But if you don't want to do that, if you just want to say something nice. So children, children who are never taught to be afraid, their parents always say to them, don't be afraid. Isn't that what you always, isn't that like the learning thing? No one ever said to their children, be afraid. I mean, of course, there's some nuts who say that. But, I mean, people don't say that. They say to their children, don't be afraid. Nothing will happen. It'll be all right. You go to these uh, lunar park things, you know, where you have Ferris wheel going around. There's always one kid who's afraid. And instead of saying, that's great. You know, you're like a prime candidate to be a Rosh Yeshiva. You say, no, don't be afraid. Forget about it. It's nothing. It's nothing. So, okay. So nobody teaches their children to be afraid, but they're afraid. Nobody really teaches their children to love. I mean, in other words, love is a quality that comes from, uh, maybe from dependence, but it doesn't have to turn into love. It could be friendly. I mean, there are animals who only for the time that they are being uh, taken care of, their pa- parents who express love, and after that they could go and eat them. So, so there's a difference. There's a difference. We have, this, we have these tendencies. Abba, <coughs> so Rashi very much accepted the fact that, uh, that love could be a factor in the religious dimension of the uh, person. And <coughs> in that regard, Rashi was willing, Rashi was willing to quote this Chazal, the first Chazal. The Dabar Acher, the Dabar Acher gives a technical reason that everybody could understand. I mean, if you were, if you were inclined to understand it, like you say, Rashi says, so Rashi says, okay. So you can't argue with that. I mean, it's a, it's a given. It's, it's a fact that, uh, that Ruta Moaviyah and that they existed and that you needed them for some reason even though I've expressed my uh, question about that particular about that particular thing okay now these uh, these uh, these 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 Moavim I mean, I, I just have to quote a few psukim if it's all right. It's not; they're not on the sheet. They are not on the sheet. It's a pasuk in Breishit, Perikav Dalit. I'm sorry, it was just too much of an annoyance. Used to be able to see this (coughs) 
Any, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll find it a bit. Uh, Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu had a wife whose name was Ketura. Remember? Mm-hmm. Rashi says that Ketura was Hagar. I'm not sure exactly why Rashi had to say that. Uh, except that he wanted to minimize the fact that he had a wife, another wife, who's had another name. By saying that it was Hagar, it turns out that uh, it was the same wife, so there was no need for her to be mentioned, really. That, you know, when Abraham kicked out Hagar and Yishmael, he, he didn't really want to do that. And uh, after she was saved and understood that she could never be the legitimate wife of Abraham and having a legitimate son of Abraham, we don't know what happened to her unless we trust the Midrash who told us that Abram took her back, right? Took Ketura back. So one of her descendants was Midian. One of her descendants was Midian. So it's interesting that the Chazal uh, uh, understanding of things does not find this problematic. As you would think that if Abram Avinu had a son, even with a unlikely consort like Hagar, and Hagar was was an idolatrous woman, that the fact that he was a, that Midian was a descendant somehow of Abraham Avinu would have an effect on Midian. But it's it it seems that there is this um, this cabalistic idea, right? I call it a cabalistic idea because I only heard of it in the Kabbalah. But maybe it's not a cabalistic idea. Maybe it's. A, Indian Punjabi idea or something, you know, like uh, people who do uh, comparative history of religions, they know about things like that. That that sometimes, even if you do the right thing, it can cause unnecessary negative situations. Now, everybody knows that this is true. I mean, everybody, everybody says, gee, I thought I was doing a good thing, and everybody in the world takes it as being some terrible was also uh, uh, interesting, interesting. It wasn't obvious that he would agree to take Hagar as his wife and have a child and then deal with that child with a Kodesh Bofu, who is as though a Kodesh Bofu says to Abba Vino, uh, this is no good, you know, I mean, you're going to have a son. So what are you draining around with the Ishmael? His name Ishmael uh, God prays for him, Avram pays for his, for his benefit, he becomes an enemy. So, so you see that there is idea, this idea that you could do, everything you do produces ricochets, you might call it. Like there, there are implications. And you don't know what those implications are going to be. And therefore, even the best intention can sometimes produce something that is untenable. I mean, you know, you have to go to Barbara Vida, not too far to Yitzchak, who had twins. They had twins? They had twins, right? And, and, and so you think twins, they'd be the same. Or close to the same. I mean, I don't know what you would think. I would think that there would be some similarities, a lot better than, a lot better than Yishmael and Abraham. You'd have uh, Yaakov and Esau. But no, it's, it's not so. It's not so. There was 
only Yaakov was supposed to be in, in the picture. I mean, Yitzchak. Only Yitzchak was to be the picture. And then only Yaakov was supposed to be in the picture. And the, the transfer from one of the others to all the sons of Yaakov is again becomes difficult. All of a sudden, some of them are better, some of them are worse, some of them do things, they don't do things. I mean, everything is... <coughs> so what does it mean? So you have this idea, which started with Avram Avinu, that not every good thing produces only good results. Not every positive act produces only positive results. But in fact, in fact, uh, you produce uh, you, you produce midyam. You could produce midyan, and by producing midyan, you have a problem, and eventually that problem has to be dealt with, and that's the nakom. That's the, you know, the, this, this directive that Moshe Rabbeinu received. I wanted to, there's one more thing I wanted to say, because I want to stop more or less at the same time, because I get paid the same amount, no matter when I stop. So, so I, I just want you to know that Moshe Rabbeinu had a relationship with midyan, that we don't entirely understand. But we know that when Moshe Rabbeinu ran away from, from Mitzrayim, he was taken in by a person in Midian who had daughters. Now we don't know if that person, in telling the story, that person represents the nation or just himself. Whether Moshe Rabbeinu had a relationship with Yitro or Moshe Rabbeinu had a relationship with Yitro, the Midianite. So the Ramban, which we not have any time to learn, but we would like to learn it, and if you'd like to learn it on Shabbos, you could do that. The, the, the command that Moshe Rabbeinu gave to B'nai Yisrael when he said, take revenge on the Midianite, but he didn't tell them what to do. In other words, he sort of said, he said to B'nai Yisrael, you know, here are the Midianites. Here's their stuff. Here's their cattle. Here's their wives, their children. It's all there. You take revenge. You, B'nai Yisrael, take revenge. You figure it out. You figure it out. And you know, I always say, I always say this story. I tell this story. When Yoshua sent the Miraglim, you know, remember the Miraglim? When Yoshua sent the Miraglim to Yericho, Yeshua said the Miraglim to Yericho. He said, look around. He didn't tell them what to look for. He said, look around. And of course we know that they bungled the whole thing. They came to Yericho, they went to Rachav. And so now Rachav was the right person to go to because she was every woman. You know, she knew what was going on. I mean, whatever it was they wanted to find out, she would know. But what was it they wanted to find out? What was it they knew? Here's Yericho, here's us. God has commanded us to do this. We're going to run around with bone chauffeur, and the walls will come tumbling down. And so, what was the big deal? What was there to investigate? What was there to investigate? So, you remember the story that Rechab was going to save them, divert the police, and say, and she said, Look, when you come back with your whole army, I want you to save me and my family and take us in and don't chip us out. Take us into the larger group, let us live, and don't ship us out because we know. That's what Rechav Azona said. And they ran away, these two Muraglim, they ran away and they went back to the camp of Yeshua ben Nun where they were debriefed by Yeshua ben Nun. So you think they'd have nothing to say. Not so. They told Yeshua ben Nun this. They know. 
That's what they said. In other words, it was almost as though they went in order to meet Rechab Even though when you read the story, it sounds like an accident. No, no, no. I think. It's my shot. That, that they went specifically. It wasn't that they knew her name. They didn't know, but they knew there's a Zona someplace. And they're going to find her. Because she'll know what they want to know. What was it that they wanted to know? They wanted to know that the people in Yericho, the people in Yericho knew that they are coming in the name of God. That they're not just a bunch of murderers that gathered to their head that they should pillage uh, the land of Canaan. But that they were acting in accordance with divine direction. And that's what she said. We know why you are here. We know, meaning that you have come in the name of God. And therefore, and therefore we understand that you're certainly going to win and you're going to do what you have to do and take us in and give us a break. That's what, that's what they said. So that, that, uh, uh, this idea of nikama, this idea of nikama is a very difficult mitzvah. It's very difficult. It's not like, Self-defense. Now, anybody who's ever learned in yeshiva knows that self-defense is the easiest thing to define. In fact, if you're a sort of a brisker, you know that self-defense means anything. Anything is self-defense. Like you're crossing the street, so you so so you could be mechal shabbos to get to the other side of the street because 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 uh, nefesh has a tremendously wide definition. So that if you are attacking the other nation or the other army in order to save yourself. Right? You know that the Ammonites and the Moabites and they all got to come to get you so you can do whatever you want. It's very simple. But if you're going to punish them, if you're going to punish them, it means that the war is over. There's no war. I mean, it's like not so dissimilar from a lot of the uh, the kinds of problems that are brought in, brought up in Israel, right, in these days. In these days, I think are correct. I mean, it's correct to bring them up. I'm not sure what the solutions are, but I mean, it's correct to bring them up. So that, that, uh, uh, if you're going to do nikama, nikama, the Rabban says, it's like Amalek. What do you mean it's like Amalek? Why is it like Amalek? Amalek is Amalek. And, and, and these, uh, these Moabites are, are Moabites. I mean, the Midianites, the Midianites. So that, that what the Ramban means is this, that the, the directive to do away with the Amalekites is a mitzvah. And it's only because it's a mitzvah that it's possible. If it wasn't a mitzvah, you couldn't do it. How could we, we couldn't evaluate Amalek and say, well, it's hopeless. The next generation will be worse than the last generation. Two generations will not be worse than two generations. We wouldn't be able to say that at all. <coughs> so, Am Yisrael, led by Yeshua ben Nun, they had the same problem. They said, we don't have the problem with the war. We don't have a problem with the war. We're going to win the war. What we have a problem with is getting rid of everybody. Chasing them out, and you know, because that's what it says in the in the Shoftim, Shoftim, the Book of Shoftim, that in the Northern Kingdom in Yehuda, they managed to to get rid of all the idolaters, or most of the idolaters, or the major idolaters. Sorry, 
I said it all wrong. In the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Yehuda, right, Yerushalayim in the south, they got rid of everybody that they were supposed to get rid of except for the Philistines, which is itself a separate story. Right, the Pelishtim are Aza. What we call Aza today, that was the land of the Philistines. The Philistines, the Yehuda could not get rid of them. They stayed until they kind of got rid of themselves somehow. But the northern kingdom, they were unable, they were unable to get rid of the idolaters. Now why were they unable to get rid of the idolaters? Maybe because, maybe because they didn't know who they were. You know, it's not enough to do idolatry. You have to have it in your DNA. You know, you have to have it in an, in an inalienable way. You have to get rid of these people because they contaminate you. Well, what about the other guys who are going to become Balei Tshuva? You don't want to get rid of them. Right? So now you have to decide who are the idolaters chromosomically and who are going to be Balei Tshuva. Now that's a hard decision to make. So Yoshua Benun sent the Miraglim and told them to Miraglim and he said, I want you to find this out. Like, who are the people? Not what is with the war. Because you win a war long before the people have been punished individually. The individual punishment is difficult. So Yeshua Benun said, find that out. Find out who they are, who they really are. And the Miraglim came back and they said, they know who we are. And since they know who we are, since they know who we are, we're going to save them. We will let them live. But they couldn't prove it about everybody else. So that that distinction between Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom already existed in that early time. And therefore, probably it's true, like in an ideological sort of way of thinking about it, that the Jews of the Northern Kingdom disappeared. Because they did not have the sense of who should live and who should die. They, they were not able to deal with that question. Whereas in Yehuda, they understood that idolatry had to be, had to rid of, of idolatry in order, in order to live. Okay, so we talked about a few ideas. I'm sorry that I'm late. I'm sorry that I took David and uh, Karen out. And uh, it's very nice of them to come and visit. But we'll do, we'll talk about that some other time. All the best. <laughs>